0: On second down. For touchdown, Teele and Cole. Right on cue. Aiden O'Connell with his first touchdown pass as a pro. Aiden O'Connell, yeah, pretty damn good. 15 yeah. of 18 passes. And he had a great throw down the sideline that the receiver ultimately didn't, didn't uh, hold on to. Aiden O'Connell looked the part wearing number four yeah. Derek Carr oh Derek Carr's got to be pissed immediately reissue number four <laughs> and they know that throw down the sideline looked better than anything I ever saw to Derek Carr <laughs> damn how dare you said live from the Finley Toyota Studios it's Cofield and Company with JVT and Adam Hill good afternoon you heard it no Cofield today on Cofield and Company Von y Los Vatos are in control for the next three hours And what a three hours it will be. Eh, it'll be okay. I mean, it's already off, as usual, with shows where Steve is out and we kind of mess around. It's already off to a chaotic start. Demond Cotton is here as well. Sure. Running the board, doing all the right things.
1: It's off to a chaotic start because we really started the show like two hours ago by meeting up and just talking about about show things at a local coffee shop. That's right. I
0: tried to do it at a local sandwich shop, but the Wi-Fi stunk. So, all I did was get locked in on, um, what was it? What do they call it? The supercharged lemonade. Sure. That I think one of their large cups, they say, has 380 milligrams of caffeine in it. Seems like a lot. I had two cups. That's right, good. Should, should be good to go. Let's, you be fired up for let's rock. Uh, but we are off to a chaotic start because uh, Damon just threw everything out of the window <laughs> that we had planned. Well, it's. By asking he's us somewhat, a simple question, also oh oh yeah, thought, thought you were going somewhere else. Well, what, no wait, no what's what's this? I mean, throwing
1: paperwork at us at two fifty.
0: Oh well, that's yeah. <laughs> I mean, I don't think that's his fault. That's uh, Lucy. That's her. That's her name, right? Yep. Who we talked about on the show before. Lucy is is actually Steve is becoming more and more of a fan of Lucy, our receptionist, because he'll say hi to her now because he knows she won't say hi back. Sure. And so like even today when you and I walked in together, I said hi, nothing. Stone wall, which is good. I mean, that's a that's a compliment. Well, I I, expect- I'll go Hello. one step further in that
1: I I don't even have the key to get in. Oh, like I do the fancy Bluetooth. And so like- I often have to knock on the door, and she has to come over, and there's still no interaction. That's awesome.
0: Well, she probably <laughs> yeah. hates you for that. I'm sure. Well, it's it's literally four feet. Also, that's kind of a, like that's that the whole point of the locks is that that doesn't happen.
1: Don't don't start making that case.
0: But we. Had- I mean, we had she an incident. She
1: recognizes. We me. had an incident. We did. She recognizes me.
0: <laughs> she doesn't
1: acknowledge me, but right. she recognizes it's a, it's me. That's a good point. She's like, peeped through the little slit sure. in the door.
0: She's like, okay, it's this guy. Again. Sure.
1: But you were not referencing the paperwork. You were referencing the other demon debacle. Right. He The,
0: which, the demonical. Which started with a simple <laughs> question, which is essentially what? How do I look? Just what do you think of my outfit? There we go. That's what it it's was. It's funny
2: you say debacle because Finhaas, he's the youngest person in the sports department, and he said my outfit was a debacle. That's what No, I said a demonical. It's, well,
1: a, it's a demon debacle. Yeah. Well,
2: Finhaas said that, and then Q also. Who is know, this first person? Finhaas. He works. Like, who is this? Uh, That's a person? Yeah, six foot five. Um, this isn't Jed? No, 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 no. Finhaas, six foot five, black. Probably haven't seen him. He's part time. Oh, big guy, big guy. Yeah, yeah okay, yeah, I met yeah. him. Yeah, I met him. All right. Looking I didn't like out-of-shape Power four gonna try to tell me about my outfit. Okay, like he, the first, the first look like an
1: out of shape power <laughs> four. I like that the first thing that Demond uses in describing somebody is
0: their height. Is because he's like eh, it's different than me. He's like, look here, man. <laughs> For those who don't know, I pointed up to this guy. Uh, well, because he asked, and I actually, I think Demond looks good. Like he looks fine. Well, here, here's the thing. As soon
1: as I walked in, I was like okay, okay. No, that's it's it's fine.
0: Can we describe the outfit first off? So Damon is wearing well he's wearing the, the main um the main pieces here are khaki shorts. Sure. A medium button up shirt that is teal ish like right with vertical stripes. Vertical stripes that are hard, they have like three sections to them. It's like white, then black, then white, uh, with hard teal outlines to the stripes. Uh, the undershirt is a question because it's a gray undershirt. Move your hand. I can't see. Yes, it yeah, is it's gray. a gray undershirt. Dark, so dark gray. You know, you could question that doesn't really go with the color scheme. And then a uh, snapback, right? It's a snapback. A snapback Grizzlies. A grizzly snap, snap. A Vancouver Grizzlies strap cap. Back, actually. Yep. Strapback. Oh, thank you, thank you. Even yes. worse. Uh, not snap. Strap. So I. Like, and, and that's also teal, by the way. I literally and I,
1: look, I do not care what anybody wears ever. A lot of teal. I I don't care. Literally, we'll just grab a couple clothes, and I don't care what I'm sure. wearing. I don't care what Demon is wearing. He asked, like I walked in, I was like, oh, this is weird, but I didn't say anything. And then he had, how do I look? How, how do I look? What are you talking about? I don't care,
0: but now we're going to comment on it because you're asking. <laughs> but then it really started to get chaotic because sure. apparently every time I walk in, there's a small 12-ish year old child sitting at the reception yeah. desk.
1: There's a guy that's probably, he's he's probably 12 years old in middle school. He's and, a
2: senior in high
1: school. No, there's no, no, no way. There's no way that's true. <laughs> is he really? I'll go get him. <laughs> So when so Devon said, "How do I look?" and I was like, "I, I mean, the shorts with the with that particular button up shirt and the sna- and the strap back hat." Yeah, I was like, "It's a weird combination, but whatever, it's fine." And he goes, "Well, the kid up front said I look good." I'm like, "What are we doing right now? <laughs> why? First of all, why are we asking him? Why does he matter?" That's right.
0: None of this stuff makes sense. His opinion is so rock solid that the second – is what you say? Ruben, right? Is that his name? Ruben, yes. Yeah, the second that Ruben said, oh, looks good. <laughs> yeah. Which, by the way, I went out to corroborate the story, well, as did you. Well, first of all, I went first, and I said, did you really tell DeMond
1: he looks good? And he kind of snickered, and he was like, <laughs> yeah. Which
0: led me to believe he was just scared of DeMond and said, yeah, you look good. Which then led to DeMond going out there to admonish young <laughs> right. Ruben. Telling him, I walk out there and I hear Damon saying, hey, next time, say it with your chest about how good I look. Be confident. So, which I asked Ruben, you really think he looks good? He hides a smile with his hand and then just goes, yeah. Again, Ruben is
1: 12, right? He's got to be. Why are we putting this much pressure
2: on the kid? Why are you citing him as a source? I got a second source, Ari.
0: <laughs> okay. okay. Boom. I right. I don't even know what to say about that.
1: You need to work on your source. Lucy also said it's okay. It's okay. okay. All right.
2: Lucy's a woman of few words. But again, <laughs> that's a whole I, lot coming <laughs> from her. The point
1: is, if we came in and started clowning your outfit, okay, go look for validation elsewhere.
0: That's fine. We didn't. Two other people did. You didn't see that part, right? As soon as we came in. So that's what started this. This yes. wasn't like a, you wore the outfit, but you were like kind of looking in the mirror, like I'm a little insecure, but I feel like it looks good, so let me go to work and ask people. No, somebody initiated the mockery, and that's why you've been asking people how you look. Yes. Okay.
1: But literally, we walk in. He's like, "What do you think of my? Like, why are we? Who cares? Nobody
0: cares except for you." Ooh. Don't bring it up to us. I think it's solid. I said the only tweak I would do is pants instead of shorts. Yeah, yeah, je- jeans. Uh, no, not jeans. I think the Something. the khakis look good. It's just I think you know pants you don't instead like of shorts. Khakis to come into the studio. And okay. then, um, uh, you know, maybe like a white undershirt instead of the dark gray. What
2: about no undershirt? Finn said just no undershirt. I mean that works too. Okay.
0: Yeah. You're, you keep. Citing people that I don't know actually. Sleeves exist. that don't cut off the blood circulation to your arms. Would also I, this help is a too.
2: large, by the way. This shirt is a large. <laughs> Today, an Instagram ad was targeted for me. It was called American Tall. It's a uh, you know tall people's clothing oh, line. Sure. So Instagram ads—they're clearly they know the demographic they should be after. Yeah. Yeah. So True. I looked at the website, gave it a shot. Well, I mean, were you
1: googling the- things like "I wish I was taller," <laughs> and then
2: and then you, you got you got the targeted ad? Is that what
1: happened? No. Okay. Are you sure? I'm, I'm sure. We're making this
0: checking. Try all right. It's, it's going possible. well. DeMond's having a good day so far. Yeah, I don't I see height. So <laughs> that's, that's a good point. <laughs> yeah. Wait, what makes you say? you <laughs> anything? No, that makes sense. <laughs> DeMond's He's having been, a good weekend. He is. Or a good weekend. Excuse me, a, a good day. Uh, hopefully he had a good weekend. Aiden O'Connell had a good weekend. Sure. As we heard. Made that's a throw f- that- Fantastic. Uh, made a throw that Derek Carr never made in his entire career yeah, as a Raider. Who, who was that, by the way? I think it was Florio, right? Yes, it was. Okay. Florio and uh Sims. Yep. Yep. So, a little uh a little so I was gonna say a little much, but Aiden O'Connell did do well. Fifteen of eighteen, hundred and forty one yards. Yeah, and
1: I'm not the I'm not the biggest Derek Carr defender in the world, especially, you know, off the field. Uh, and I don't mean that like in any getting in trouble, just like how he handles press conferences and how he handles locker room, that sort of thing. Um but he's a good quarterback. Sure. That was always the problem. He was too good to get rid of, not good enough to win. Like, that's a very, very tough place to be in as an NFL quarterback. But there was some pretty high-end throws that Derek Carr made best Yes, time, I would say. in Las Vegas and Oakland. Like, there just were. So it's silly to be like, oh, Derek Carr never made that throw. By the way, also incomplete. No, it was a good throw. It was his best throw of the day. Mm-hmm. Aiden O'Connell was fine. Like, there's been good practices. There's been terrible practices. He, he looked good. Now, I think we can – Make the case that while Josh McDaniels said that was not schemed, there was receivers running wide open.
0: <laughs> all that was all day. I watched that yesterday, and granted, I was live on air V Sin, so I think not about every play. But as I was watching as much as I could while I was live on the air, and as you mentioned, watching like somewhat complex like routes and combinations and everything, and going Holy smokes, these guys are running wide open against some basic coverages. McDaniels, at the very least, I think set up AOC for success. Oh yeah, I think so. Right? Like I, I think there's no question.
1: No, he didn't. He did put a couple of starting offensive linemen in, not the whole offensive line group. Yep. Um. You know, obviously, some of their top targets didn't play, uh, but yeah, there was noticeably guys running wide open and Aiden O'Connell making the throw. Now, look, you still have to make the throw. I saw plenty of wide open receivers that Trey Lance, Sam Darnold, mm-hmm. and uh, Chase Garbers missed one too. Um, people miss wide open throws. He didn't. He didn't miss. I. I think you come out of that and say. I'm not taking anything major out of this, but he made the throws he was supposed to make, managed the game. A couple were very easy throws, but he had to change his footing a little bit. Like he set, got pressure, stepped, made one step to the left, made a great throw. Like that's pro level stuff. Mm-hmm. Impressive. Fine. Good. I I hope nobody's saying like, I think we have a quarterback of the future here. Like, so of you course. Know, you have no idea.
0: You have no idea. No clue. He was fine. That's what you have to do. Right. Malik Cunningham is now the quarterback of the future for the New England Patriots. Of course he is. (laughs) Why wouldn't he be? It's what you do in the preseason. From undrafted to superstar. Of course. Uh, I I would agree with you. So let me ask you this. So what's McDaniel's endgame here? He'll never say it, but he's now undefeated in the preseason. Sure. This clearly seems to be like an objective, right? You know, because for those who don't follow, I mean, a lot of people follow the preseason, but this more ties into some betting stuff. But there are coaches who have rep- reputations as being guys who want to win in the preseason. John Harbaugh and the Ravens have won, what, like 26 straight <laughs> preseason games? Mike Zimmer, in his time as head coach of the Minnesota Vikings, was a guy that tried really hard in the preseason. It does seem the Raiders version of Josh McDaniels, because I actually went back and looked. I think he was like 2-5 and f- five or something ridiculous. He pretty poor as Broncos head coach. Clearly, Josh McDaniels, the head coach in terms of Las Vegas Raiders iteration, wants to win these games. Yeah, I think that's that's pretty clear. I think you know one of the things he's talked about, like he's
1: again, he's not, he won't come out and say it's you know, life or death. We're trying to win these games, but he has said there's something to setting a winning culture of win the game, show how to win, do what you got to do. But again, they were four and zero last year, and the season did not go the way that people hoped. Uh, one of the things I love about preseason so much is that literally everyone knows it's meaningless. Everyone knows that, and you have the same people that go into a game saying this is meaningless, this doesn't matter, don't pay attention to the results, then going in and saying, I can't believe how good that guy. like, <laughs> stop, stop. Like, you you want to – and I think it's pretty natural, if something happens that you want to see happen, say that that matters. And if something happens that you don't want to see happen or that doesn't support your th- your thoughts, that's ah, preseason. Who cares? doesn't matter. Mm-hmm. I, I think that's a natural thing. Uh, that That's how it mostly happens. I mean, it, the same thing happens, honestly, in week one of the NFL season – where every year, if you look back, you see some really, really weird results. Mm -hmm. And we always say, hey, look, it's week one. There's a lot that's going to change. Don't read too much into it. But if it goes the way you want it to, oh, this team's great. (laughs) Okay, settle down. Um, Take a step back. Figure out what it all means. Uh, And in this case, I I don't think it means a whole lot. again, if you want to say, hey, the Raiders' second stringers are probably better than the 49ers' third stringers, yeah. (laughs) Yeah, I, I saw that. I think that happened. Yep. <laughs> Good job. What does that matter for the season? Zero. But like, you know, some of the some of the mentalities that you take away of hey, the Raiders all season, you're all off season, all they've talked about is disruption. Getting to the quarterback, causing turnovers. They did that. Mm-hmm. Again, it's not their starters and it's not the other team's starters. They did it. It's clear that they're focusing on that. Curtis Bolton, not just a microcosm of what went on. Uh, I talked to Curtis Bolton after the game. He had forced a fumble. He said the play that he made Is something he's never done in his career, which is in coverage, peel off, go help. And when you come in to help, you don't just go for the tackle. You notice that the tackle is going to be made anyway, and you go for the ball. Mm -hmm. And he, he said, it's just, I've always thought, get the guy to the ground. Make sure you make a sure tackle. We are preaching, get the ball, get the ball, get the ball. That's what he did. Those are good things you take away and say, hey, look, they're listening, they're responding. Is it the same if it's George Kittle? Maybe not. Right. But the mentality is there, and I think
0: that's who you look for, not results, not all those other things. We'll get back to more of the Raiders' win over the 49ers a little bit later in the program, but let's take a break here. On the other side, uh, let's get back to conference realignment a little bit more closer to home, though. The Mountain West is in an interesting position in conference realignment. Can they become a Power 5? Alaska well, Amanda Kristovich, who wrote about that for Front Office Sports when we come back here on Cofield and Company. Cofield out for today. John Von Tobel, Adam Hill filling in. He'll be back on Wednesday, I think. No promises. You never know. Yeah, no promises. We could do such an incredible job that they don't want him back. Tomorrow's not promised to (laughs) anyone. That's a very good point. Uh, Especially when it comes to these conferences nowadays, nothing is promised when it comes to the next day. Uh, Let's get some more on this as uh, it's been somewhat quiet on the front of conference realignment. Uh, Amanda Kristovich is with us here to talk a little bit more about the Mountain West perspective of all of this. Amanda, we appreciate some time. Amanda, of course, you can find her work over on Front Office Sports. Uh, Let's just start with a general question. You've been all over this. Uh, I've read quite a few of your articles up there on Front Office Sports. What has this been like for you from a reporting standpoint? Uh, How exciting it's been, how annoying it's been to get a hold of all of this?
3: Oh, first of all, thank you for having me on. And second of all, thank you for that question about how it's been for me. I mean, I just – it's been nonstop, but in the best way possible. You know, I mean – You never never root for something to fail. Obviously, I'm from California, from Los Angeles, so I'm personally very upset about the Pac-12's implosion. But, you know, from a professional standpoint, it's been a whirlwind. Um, And, yes, it has been annoying to try to figure out uh, what is fact and what is fiction, particularly when what is fact often changes by the hour. But um, like you said, we've had a bit of a calm few days. You know, it seems like everyone has decided to take a step back and, you know, deliberate a little more about what the next moves are going to be. So we'll see how long that lasts.
0: So the most recent article that that I read on Friday that you had, you know, could the Mountain West become a Power Five conference? In it, you talk about how you got to speak with Gloria Navarre as a Mountain West commissioner. I feel like a lot of what we've talked about with the Mountain West has been more like, hey, it would make sense if the Mountain West did this. Do you get a sense that Navarre's and the Mountain West are going to be aggressive here? Because we haven't really seen anything concrete as to what the Mountain West wants to do.
3: Yeah, I, you know, uh, the commissioner told me that she generally is going to wait to see what the ACC does. Um, Because, you know, I I don't think it's a secret, right? We all know that um, Stanford and Cal um, you know, have been courting the ACC potentially. You know, they're they're just trying to figure out what their options are, right? And it would be easier for them, in their eyes, right, to just get into another Power Five conference. Um, you know, so we'll see what happens with that. But once the decision is made about whether or not the ACC decides to add members, that's when I think Gloria is really going to spring into action. I mean, I also would say that You know, she's a very shrewd commissioner. She's more or less fought off two different um, major schools defecting from conferences that she's run, Gonzaga in um, the West Coast Conference and SDSU in the Mountain West. She's more than capable of, um, you know, of being aggressive. I think she just needs to wait and see where the sort of chips fall. And, you know, I know that that obviously the conference is having – conversations, but she said that a lot of the due diligence has already been done about what schools might be, you know,
1: they might be interested in. Sure, and you know, you follow this closely and you know it changes every day, and we have too. One of the things that we have gotten annoyed about by some conferences here is the hesitation. Like, you wait and you're like, oh, we'll see what happens here, and then it's too late. Like, is Mm -hmm. that possible here, or are we at a lull enough in this process that there is a little bit of time to wait and see what happens here, because Let's say the ACC says, yeah, we'll take Stanford and Cal and San Diego State and Boise. Now, where are you?
3: Yeah, I, um, I, personally, I can't say that I have heard that um, the ACC would be willing to take um, current Mountain West members at this particular time. So I would like to... Maybe uh, <laughs> just maybe everyone could take a collective no, deep breath about that. No, I'll be cl- I'll be
1: clear um, too. I'll be clear too. We haven't heard that either. But the whole the whole thing with all this is that there's things that happen on one day's notice. You're like, wait, where, where did this come from? Right. And a lot of the a lot of the conferences that have waited have been really ravaged by these other conferences that do get aggressive.
3: Yeah, and you know, look, I'll say that when I heard we're going to wait for this conference to do what they're going to do before we make our move, the, 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 where my head went was um, Pac-12 Commissioner George Kleevkov's comments, you know, I guess it was last summer, explaining how the Pac-12 is really going to start its media rights negotiations after the Big Ten, because they knew the Big Ten were up first and they were going to wait obviously that, you know, there was a bit of an alarm bell that went off in my head when I heard that. But when I really thought about it, it made a lot of sense to me because, again, it, it seems to us, right, from the outside that these decisions get made within 24, 48 hours. But for, take Oregon and Washington, for example, with the Big Ten. They, The Big Ten had done due diligence. All the research they needed to do um on those two schools a year ago. So all they needed to do was dust off their files and say, hey, let's call Fox, CBS, and NBC right here, right now, and see what they would give us for those schools, right? So it sounds like a lot of that conversation has already been had for the Mountain West. They know what moves. It sounds to me like they're considering what moves they would make if this, then that. You see what I'm saying? Sure. Um, you know, and the reality is, is unfortunately, they don't really have a choice with waiting because Stanford and Cal are going to want to go to the ACC over the Mountain West if they have the choice. You know, fortunately or unfortunately, because you know they just want to make sure that they can keep in a power conference. Whether what they want to do is the right decision, in my opinion, is a different story. But that's clearly what they want.
0: So, in your article, we talk about two scenarios, right, that the Mountain West has discussed. I wanted to focus on the second one because San Diego State has been uh, kind of noisy and some would say petulant in the way that they've handled this over the last couple of months – and there was a report by Dennis Dodd about a week ago that they tried another mm-hmm. sort of coup where they were just like, no, let's let's dissolve the Mount West and we'll fuse together with the Pac-12 and we'll get some AAC teams in here. Uh, how much in terms of noise has San Diego State, how much noise have they made? How much of a driving factor are they in all of this? Because I know you asked Navarez about them and the fact that they're really kind of pushing for this merger and the dissolve kind of of the Mountain West into a different Power Five. Yeah, and it's, what,
3: what I was what I guess I wasn't 100% sure about in that report, right? Because obviously I was told that the idea of dissolving the conference was on, was, was something that was discussed. But it wasn't necessarily discussed to break up the conference. It was discussed as more of a logistical decision so that the, the Mount, if the Mountain West schools wanted to join the current entity of the PAC-12, they would be able to do so without having to pay exit fees, right? It, it was just an idea so it sounds to me like San Diego State's idea was a little bit more idealistic for their own purposes, if that makes sense. You know, and and, and it's funny, when I spoke with Gloria, I said, I'm going to ask you this question, and I don't know if you want to answer it on the record or not. She said, to, to my surprise, no, I'm quite comfortable answering, um, you know, commenting on the SDSU report on the record, because it's no secret that they want to do what's best for their conference and they have, or their, their school, and they have been aggressive. And, you know, she said, look, she said she couldn't confirm or deny who they were talking to on their own time. Right. If they're talking to some AAC schools, or talk trying to, con- to talk to the PAC 12 schools that are remaining. Um, but, you know, I personally think that dissolving the conference would be way too risky for the vast majority and the Mountain West needs to get, I believe, 12 votes to do that. So I don't see it happening no matter what SDSU wants.
1: Uh, I have a couple more on this topic. But first of all, I do want to ask, is it is the hardest part of your job keeping up with this on a day-to-day basis or working with our old <laughs> friend A.J. Perez? Because that would be a nightmare.
3: <laughs> working with A.J. Perez is, uh, yeah, it's, it's no, uh, that is, Uh, that's not a question I've ever been asked on the air and you're going to send AJ the, AJ is a fabulous colleague. He's a, a dogged reporter. I've learned a lot from him. And actually working with AJ, I, um, I first met him at USA today, um, several years ago, I was an intern and, uh, I, I was given, he, there was an evening where I was supposed to be working late. We, you know, in DC and, um I he was put in charge of me and the other intern and, and that's how we met so you can imagine how that went but he's he's a fabulous reporter uh, you know, and and a great colleague.
1: We
0: don't like that. That we want conflict yeah, we on want the We
1: we're, want we're negativity. What, what we, we to lie
0: to you and tell you we're not live right now. We we can edit this out. <laughs> no, we are. <laughs>
3: <laughs> oh, I know. And even if you weren't live, you know, I I, I would just say that uh, I yeah, I'm, I'm not going to say anything disparaging <laughs> about AJ. But well, the one thing I will say is the energy that AJ has <laughs> as a reporter is remarkable, and I strive to keep up with him. And ha- you know, in his late night messages about what he's working working on on a day-to-day oh, basis. This, it's really amazing.
1: This sucks. This is not what we wanted. Uh well, <laughs> we'll, not
3: what you wanted, we'll, was
1: it? I'm too we'll, nice. We'll, we'll <laughs> let you out of here, but I guess just, what, what is the next step? What should we watch next what should what should we still be looking for here?
3: Yeah, so tomorrow is supposed to be the deadline for the ACC um, schools to notify the conference whether or not they want to leave in 2024. Um, so theoretically, if... Um, um, Florida State, you know, who was making their own headlines, um, you know, even though no movement was made there, if they wanted to leave uh, the conference, that would be tomorrow would be the deadline. But, you know, again, I haven't heard anything over like the last five days about um, the ACC making any more progress in, in either direction. So I'm expecting tomorrow is going to sort of come and go. And I, um, you know, I would like to hope that within the it, within the next week, we'll get an answer on the ACC, at least, because uh, you know, I conference realignment is a really fascinating topic. But I've got some other things I'd like to cover, so you know, that would be nice.
0: <laughs> I hear you. <laughs> <Yep>. <laughs> so, that
3: uh, yeah, that's that, that's what I'm looking out for.
0: You can find her work over at Front Office Sports, Amanda Kristovich, uh, up there. Thank you very much for the time, Amanda. Appreciate it.
3: Yeah, no problem.
0: All right. Yeah, but that's tomorrow's the big day, right? Because uh, as you mentioned, the ACC and the Florida State's got to decide whether or not they want to pay up the big bucks. What a mess to dip out, and then after that, we'll see what happens. Oh, it's a mess. But actually, because I don't have to write about it, I kind of love it. Yeah,
1: I mean, I'm, I I love that th- these things can change so much day to day, and like the entire landscape of college sports can change. Uh, but it is a lot to keep track of. I know for especially for people that aren't, you know, every day it's our job to know what's going on. For other people, you're like wait. I just turned on TV in the fall, and why is UCLA playing Ohio State in a conference game? Like, this is weird. Uh, I, I get I get the frustration of a lot of that, but it is fun.
2: Now, back to Coalfield and Company in the Finley Toyota Studio on ESPN Las, Las Vegas. Vegas.
0: I went golfing over the weekend. Was it about 40 miles south of town? It was. It was. Interesting felt like uh, With your outfit? No, with my golf skills. You don't know this about Demon. he's a great golfer? JV
1: Golf. Oh, that's right. I do know that. Although, he also... Look,
0: it was not the... Yo, 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 athletic, save it. Say, I it don't want to hear it. I don't want to hear it. It's not an athletic powerhouse. <laughs> it's only going to be slander. <laughs> what do you mean? You don't have to be an athletic powerhouse. Do you see... You know how old and out of shape the field was over there? The Visa Invitational? And somebody oh, I'm, had I'm allegedly saying... shot a 60...
1: Okay. No, I'm <laughs> saying I'm saying Demond School is not an athletic powerhouse. Oh, okay. Like a JV golf, you would be like just anybody. <laughs> I was gonna say there were so no cuts made. Say, <laughs> yeah, there were no cuts. Now, exactly, exactly. That's what I was getting at. How does also well, did you did you were you here the day we? I don't think you were here that we f- found some articles no, 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 going, no, no. going into Demond senior season. No way, really. Because he had claimed he had claimed a lot about his basketball career and. Uh, challenging somebody here in the building. What's the school? Uh Perump. Okay. How do you spell Perump? P A H R U M P. Okay. And uh, there was somebody in the building who had challenged all of us to one-on-one basketball. Yeah, Greg. Yeah, he, Greg Salerno. He and, yep. and he said, but he was worried about DeMond, which, by the way, is an incredibly racist thing to say. So, you.
0: okay, I'm really glad. <laughs> so, I'm really glad because I was the uh, – when Steve, like, when he threw that line out, I kind of looked at DeMond and I was like, why is he worried yeah. about DeMon? Like, why yeah. is he the only one that he's worried yeah. about?
1: Greg's like, I could beat anybody on your staff.
0: Well, it's except DeMond. maybe DeMond. What? That's so racist. It's ridiculous. Hey, hey! According to Max Preps, no,
2: no, <laughs> don't bring up the stats. Nah, no, no, this is a compliment. This we is, gotta
0: take a break. Is, <laughs> it's a compliment, Demond. You you shot a hundred percent from the floor in a loss <laughs> okay. against Faith Lutheran. Yeah,
1: one for one. one for one huh? yeah, <laughs> on you you from beyond saw, the arc. I found that, but we also found an article going into a senior season. Oh boy, where uh, the new coach was he, he was concerned about finding a somebody who could play point guard consistently, <laughs> and I have to assume Demond was a point
0: guard. Wow. I mean, you can't be a you know averaged half a point yeah, per game. Power forward his varsity year. Yeah, it's impressive. What year was that? Uh, 2012, 2013?
2: We didn't have good stat keepers. Yeah, <laughs> that's that's. So, easy are you easy saying
0: you You are you alleging you had more or less than half a point a game? Coach was biased. Three,
2: okay.
0: five points over eleven games. Yeah, nine invested. to twenty two from the floor. One to three from three point range. Thirty three percent. That's respectable.
1: Wait, how did he make that many shots? If he only had five points.
2: Told you, bad stack keepers. Yeah. <laughs> That's a good point. That's ridiculous.
1: <laughs> no, it's not that much more impressive. I think we're only talking about like 20 points on the season, maybe two points. That would have been
2: year. my junior year, and the coach really, you know, he didn't know what yeah. he was doing.
1: Sure.
0: Man, I got to f- gotta find more about the yeah. uh, – I found. I did on. find
1: the article, t- the coach talking about needing to find some consistency at the point guard position, but he did, you know, he was a leader. Was wow. A team leader. You've even got a
0: terrible empty profile on uh, Las Vegas Sun. Yeah, I found that too. <laughs>
1: not a lot. I was really down a rabbit hole. Wow, 5'5", five, five, huh? That was
0: generous. You got to put in your own. There's the bad stat
1: keeper we're talking oh, about. Oh, you got to put
0: in – so that what are you saying? So you lied?
2: <laughs> so you added a couple of inches? I think my senior year I put it up to like 5'7". Wow. Just
0: okay. got away with it? In shoes? You sure. Got, yeah, you always got to put that. In shoes. <laughs> in shoes.
1: So there's, there's a lot. There's a lot into uh, DeMond's basketball career we have to dig into. Yes, sure. we do. But to, to say – hey you know he's a good golfer he was on the jv golf team i don't i don't really think that we're you know i don't think that's really an
2: accomplishment now back to cofield and company in the finley toyota studio on espn las Las Vegas. vegas
0: we continue to look at teams around the national football league today the detroit lions let's uh Talk about what Detroit has in store. A season full of expectations from a narrative standpoint, from a betting standpoint. Eric Woodyard's with us, covers the Lions for ESPN. Eric, I need to start with something important, though. I was looking at your Twitter account. This cannot be true. Teddy Bridgewater is going to wear number 50 in the preseason.
4: <laughs> That's what he said. Yeah, we thought he was joking and playing, but yeah, he said that. He said he's going to wear that. I mean, I don't know what's the. You didn't really elaborate why, but. Uh, yeah, that's what he
0: said. I mean, I um, I'm, I'm I skew younger. I'm only thirty two. I, I like all the innovations and cool things that we're doing, but this seems like this seems like madness.
4: <laughs> right, you're out there like David Robinson? <laughs>
0: <laughs> exactly. All right, so let's start. I mentioned the expectations. Uh, from a betting market standpoint, you know we're out here in Las Vegas. We we keep track of a lot of these things. The favorites to win the NFC North, uh, big favorites to make the playoffs. Uh, just being out there at camp and watching this team, uh, have the expectations met them? Do they understand what expectations are out there for them this season?
4: Yeah, definitely. I think they. everybody feels it. They understand it. I mean, I think... Honestly, it starts from the top down. So, you know, I think Dan Campbell and these guys are embracing it. And I think that's pushing them to work harder, honestly. I don't think anybody's coming in like, you know, uh, we've arrived or we did this, you know, we've done that because they didn't even make the playoffs last year. They haven't won a playoff game in 30 years. So, I think it's more, like, motivational. Um, guys have looked, you know, solid throughout camp. You know, got new guys coming in like C.J. Gardner Johnson, you know, Cam Sutton. These guys coming in, they've been in winning programs, you know, CJ Gardner was just in Philly. You know, this was a Super Bowl. Can not say, you know, Pittsburgh. So I think they're bringing a whole other swagger, another demeanor. And I think they want to live up to the expectations. I don't think it's necessarily like making them uh, – I would say take a step off the gas. I think it's more, 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 more motivational.
1: How is the city handling it? How is the fan base handling Because I, I am from Detroit. I have heard nothing, <laughs> nothing but misery and depression and – Lowering expectations for my father, my grandfather, my uncles, <laughs> everyone, my whole life. Like, how is the city handling actually expecting to be good?
4: I don't know. I had a different experience. So I grew up about our way in Flint. And all my friends every year did that bad. <laughs> the hype train is crazy. <laughs> <He's a laughs> well, obviously, you know, living, growing up in Michigan, I mean, you know, we've endured a lot of hype over the years. But this year, definitely feels a lot different. I mean, the league even has even bought in with the Lions. I mean, four national games. Usually they always just get the Thanksgiving Day game. But, I mean, that just lets you know the league is buying into it as well. And I think, uh, yeah, hype is crazy. Everybody's excited. Um, people are really believing in Dan Campbell. You know, everybody, I think it's just a lot of excitement. And they want him to be good. I mean, you can just feel it. It was, you know, the first preseason game. I mean, you know, it was a crazy amount of fans in that game. So I think everybody's super excited.
1: Yeah, there's actually primetime games this year. It's yeah. wild. Right. Wild to think that that's going to be happening, including one with the Raiders uh, here from Las Vegas who go up uh, to Detroit later on in the season. Um, I'm fascinated by the story that is Jared Goff. Obviously, number one draft pick, a guy that made it to the Super Bowl, was kind of given up on after signing that contract that was Uh, so massive and and at the time kind of felt like it was holding the Rams back from doing what they wanted to do. And then he finds a new home in Detroit. I felt like the whole thing in Detroit was build this roster around him and then move on from him and find a young quarterback to kind of manage everything. Has that changed? Like, is he the guy
4: now? I mean, honestly, I could only go by what they told me. You know, going into even the Jared Goff experience after the trade, you know, all along, Brad Holmes, the general manager, said, Jared Goff is our guy. Even when they were 313 and 1, Jared Goff is our guy. You know, so I think they really given him a serious shot. And, I mean, you look at him last year, how he was able to, you know, start off after the really rough start and when it helped him win eight out of the last 10, he was looking like one of the best quarterbacks, you know, one of the top quarterbacks in the league. So I think it's going to be a pivotal year. You can't come in and, you know, uh, come down and don't make the playoffs, don't live up to some of these expectations. So I think this is going to be one of those years. Like, if he does come in and do his thing, I think, you know, he has a chance definitely to lock lock up a long-term future. You know, with the franchise, you got to look at this team. This offense is tailored around him. So I think, you know, it's really going to – it's his job to lose, and I think he feels that he understands that. I had a conversation with him at length uh, last week, and he was just telling me he's, he feel like he's entered a five-year career. And he's ready to take it to the next level. We've got people around him that actually believe in him. I don't think they ever looked at this project like a fringe quarterback type thing. So I think, or the bridge quarterback guy, you know, I meant to say, but I think they're definitely giving him a serious shot to, to secure that long term.
0: Uh, along those lines, can you talk to people about who Ben Johnson is and, and how he's turned things around for this offense and what he's done? Because this seems to be one of the better schemed offenses in the NFL. Over You know, last year was awesome, and people think highly of him.
4: Yeah, definitely. I mean, we all that you need to know about Ben Johnson when you saw that play when they saw the offensive lineman caught that pass. I mean, the guy is super creative. I mean, that's why he could have easily, you know, been a head coach this summer. I mean, he had head coaching interviews and opportunities. He wanted to come back. He felt like the Lions were, you know, doing something special. But he's a very young, creative play caller. I mean, he was out of practice today. You know, just motivating the guy. He's fired up. He's juiced up. And I think uh, he's kind of like you know one of those Dan Campbell guys. You know that that everybody's coming in there fired up. There's a lot of former players on the staff, but Ben Johnson is super creative, um, and I think he's a guy that's helped Jared Goff as well, you know, as far as his play calling and, and, and some of the, you know, creative things he brings to the table.
0: All right, so I wasn't going to do this, but you brought up the Panay play. Mm. Dan Campbell, there's a, a great story that he <laughs> recounted about that, where he was distracted by the wave in the building. <laughs> And uh, didn't hear Ben Johnson ask if he could actually run this play. We all know the rest is history. What, what, what do we think of Dan Campbell and what he's done? here? I feel like, like I get he's probably you know what I mean, overselling the story. But there were a lot of people that thought like, ah, okay, the rah rah stuff—is it really going to work? It seems to have worked from a culture standpoint. What have you made of Campbell in his time there?
4: Definitely. I mean, the first year was rough. You know, he was going—he was, he was out there almost like a video game, going right. for it on every fourth down. You know. Uh, I think he's learned how to become a better coach, which was anything. Your first year, I know he had the uh, experience in Miami where he was the interim head coach, but I think you know that first year was definitely rough. And then they had Anthony Lynn. I don't know if you remember. Mm-hmm. He was the offensive coordinator at first. And then they you know switched over Ben Johnson, who was the tight ends coach. So I think those two have developed a rapport. And I think Dan's got better at coaching. And I think this is going to be a pivotal year right here where we really get to see how good of a coach you guys have expectations. Year one and year two, it wasn't really any expectations, and then, like I say, you know, he's had time to really experience, and I think it can go, you know, both ways. I mean, he's lovable, he's like right now, but you got to come in, and you got to take it to the next level, and I think he will. I think really that win in Green Bay, I think that can propel them and take them to the next level, you know, as far as going forward. But yeah, he did, he definitely got some work to do. It was rough those first two years. He's got better, and I think uh, you know his, his staff has got better. Everybody's got better, even on the defensive side. So. I think it'll be, a, it'll be a true test this year to really see how good he is.
1: We've talked a lot about the positives, a lot of the reasons for why there's excitement. What could go wrong? What could stand in the way of this team you know, reaching its expectations this season?
4: Man, I, I, I've been in Michigan my whole life. I've seen everything go wrong. So <laughs> until I see it, <laughs>
3: yeah,
4: I hear all the hype. I hear the buzz. But I, I hear it every year. So Any, everything can go wrong. I mean, it's a tough start to the season. They come out and start 0-3 or 0-4. You know, and all of a sudden the hype train is going. So, I mean, we saw that, we witnessed that. So I think they have to get better in every way. Even though as good as the offense was last year, they're bringing in a totally new backfield. Uh, Jamison Williams not playing the first six games. I mean, we still need to see the receivers. I know, I know what Saint Brown is going to do, but we need to see what the rest of the receiving core is going to do. I need to see if this defense is legit. I mean, they were legitimately one of the worst defenses in the last two years in the league. So. Will they? Will they improve in that department? Everything looks good on paper, so I need to see it all, man. I mean, I've been, like I said, I've been in Michigan my whole life, so until I see it, I won't believe anything.
1: You mentioned that backfield. What? What is their plan? How do you think they manage this backfield? They've got a lot of talent there, a lot of ability. Obviously, they bring in, um, you know, a, a rookie that they have a lot of expectation for, but some veterans as well. What do you think they do there?
4: It's definitely going to be, uh, you know, Jameer Gibbs is going. He's not going to be like a traditional guy. You're going to see him catching a lot of passes. You're gonna see him, you know, lined up. He's like a Swiss Army knife, man. They use him everywhere. So, and then you got more of a traditional running back with David Montgomery, and you'll be seeing him, you know, getting those higher yards and uh, goal line scores probably. So it'll be those two. I mean, they're the two guys. And last year you had Jamal Williams and DeAndre Swift, and I think, uh, you know, this on paper it looks like it's a little better. Obviously, Swift was very good. It was just his health wise, he couldn't stay healthy. So, I mean, it depends on how durable they are. You know, it's it's, it's definitely questions there as well. So. As I said, this team, even though it looks good on paper, man, they still, they still gotta go out and do it.
1: I'm, I was super excited in the draft about Hendon Hooker. I'd, I'm very excited about his future. I think he'd be very good. Is this just a redshirt year, though? Essentially, I mean, they bring in Bridgewater, obviously, uh, as an you know as the backup as an emergency. But uh, will we see Hooker at all?
4: No, I don't think you'll see him this year. It's definitely a redshirt year. Why rush him back? You know, he's coming off a severe injury like that. I think uh, they're taking their time with him. Um, they looking at him as a, a valuable asset for the future, so I don't, I don't think you will see much of him this year.
0: You mentioned the defense and, and the things that potentially go wrong. What, what did they do in the offseason to make this thing better outside of uh, player personnel additions? How is the scheme going to be different?
4: I'm not, I mean, the secondary is just better. They just do as far as their scheme. You know, we haven't saw too much of yet. It's still, you know, early on. But I, I just think they added dogs back there. They added more talent. Number one, more than anything that they're doing anything, it's more talent on the defense. Period. So I think, you know, last year they they were struggling a lot, man. It just it wasn't a lot of talent on that defense. And I think uh, you got a lot of young guys that's coming back uh, with, with more experience. You know, obviously Aiden Hudson. You got Kirby Joseph, you know, the safety. So yeah, definitely. I think uh, I think it's just it's overall more talent. I don't think they'll be doing anything switching anything significant like that. It's just it's just more talent.
1: I'm interested to hear who you think their biggest challenge in the division is. I mean, obviously, Minnesota was very good last year in the regular season. Uh, the Packers are moving on from Aaron Rodgers to Jordan Love. We'll see where he is. I think Justin Fields takes a massive step forward this year. Who is the other best team
4: in that division? I still got to give it to you know, Minnesota. They did it. I mean, so I know a lot of those games were close, but I still think, you know, you can't overlook the Vikings. Um, I think Chicago will be better. Uh, not really sold on, you know, Green Bay just yet, but who knows, man. I mean, you know, they they they've ruled the division for so long, but I don't see them being much of a challenge. I still think it's Minnesota.
0: What did you did you watch Jordan Love at all? What are your expectations of him?
4: I haven't watched him much, man. I, I've been so dialed in on on the Lions, so I, I don't want to give too much to it. I didn't I didn't watch him much at all. Just to be honest.
0: Well, it's a pretty fascinating dynamic overall, as we talked about. We bring it full circle with the expectations, so we'll get you out of here on this. Do the Detroit Lions deliver on the expectations as you see them now, and do they win the NFC North?
4: I think they will. I think they will win the NFC North. and uh, That's crazy to be confident in the Lions team. Like I said, I <laughs> saw a lot of them, but I, I do. I think something feels different about this year, man. Something feels different around this team, this, this, this aura, this coaching staff. It feels like they're doing competent football moves. They got a competent GM, and it seems like they're doing the right things. And, damn, man, you know, they they, they they've been losing 30-plus years, man, just – my whole lifetime, it's like at some point the look has to change. I think it is this year. Can
1: can we get the Tigers, the Pistons, and the Red Wings to come along too?
4: <laughs>
0: <Yeah>. Right. <laughs> come on, man. It's, it's, rough. it's rough. It's out rough out it. there. Pistons are going to be my guilty pleasure this year, though. Cade right. looks pretty right. good.
4: They, and he was down. As long as they stay healthy. Yep. Yeah, they just got to stay healthy, man.
0: Eric Woodyard again, a Detroit Lions reporter for ESPN. Eric, it was good to talk to you, man. Thanks a lot for the time today.
4: No problem, man. Thank you. You
0: got it. Yeah, it is pretty crazy, like he's talking about. the Just the expectations that – are on this Lions team like there were some good and solid Matthew Stafford led Lions teams, but I feel like the Decent. expectations. Yeah, but you know what I mean. I feel like expectation wise, so narrative wise, well, it's,
1: it's also the fact that it, it's coinciding with the other teams, you know, having yeah. question marks, right? Like right. the Packers have had either Favre or Rodgers for thirty years. It's been just it's been like a cap on the division. The Vikings have been pretty good. The Bears haven't been great, but like they're they're a little improving right now, but. Uh, I think it's the fact that there is an opening that that goes along with how the lines are improving, and that's why there is a door open.